The scripture for today's sermon comes from 1 Corinthians 12, 8 through 11. For to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, and to another the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing by the one Spirit, to another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another the ability to distinguish between spirits, to another various kinds of tongues, to another the interpretation of tongues. All these are empowered by one and the same Spirit, who portions to each one individually as he wills. The word of God speaks to us. Good morning. Hey, my name is Cale Freeman. I serve as one of the pastors here, and uh, it's my honor and privilege to get to open up the Word of God with you guys today. Um, So I'm going to start by praying for you guys. Please pray for me, and then uh, we'll get started. Uh, Father, Lord, as we uh, open up your Word today and get to uh, look at these spiritual gifts, Lord, we pray that you would uh, bless us with uh, just being able to read your Word and to acknowledge the fact that we have your Word in the first place. Lord, I pray that you would uh, put in us a sense of just the wonder that you actually commune with us and that we can even know you. And then, Lord, I pray that you would give us what you want to give us in this particular text as well. So, Lord, I pray that the meditations of my heart, the words of my mouth, would be acceptable in your sight. Amen. Well, there have been a a number of totalitarian regimes that have uh, sprung up around the world in the last hundred years or so. Uh, Think about places like Italy under Mussolini. Think about Nazi Germany. Uh, More recently, think about uh, North Korea, these kinds of places. By totalitarian, what I mean is that they have like total or complete control of their citizens. It's a very terrible place to be and very terrible place to live. And even though all of these different governments have all their different, uh, uh, like they're all very different. They're, they're not monolithic in any way. And yet something that seems to be similar with any of them is that they all want to have unity at the expense of diversity. They all want to have unity and they want to strip people of their individuality. You can see this in every place in their governments, but I think you can see it very clearly, almost in an unnamed way, whenever you look at their militaries. See, now, what's interesting is our military here in the United States, we have uniforms and they move in formation. And yet, whenever I see pictures like these, there's almost something that I just can't quite put my finger on, but you can just tell that they have gone the extra step. They've gone even further towards stripping people of their individuality. They've gone even further down the road of unity at the expense of diversity. And this is one example of what unity is. However, there's a better picture of unity, which would be this next one. This is a picture of the London Symphony Orchestra. Uh, It was established in 1904. It's still around today. If you uh, haven't heard them before, you can just get on Spotify, type that in. Uh, They're great. They're amazing. But this, too, is a picture of unity. But it's not unity at the expense of diversity, but it's unity with diversity. Every single person here at this orchestra shows up with their own set of abilities, with their own instrument. They're not trying to fight one another for supremacy in the song, but they're all working literally in harmony with 
one another for the same purpose and yet coming at it from different places with all kinds of different strengths and all kinds of different talents. And even if you don't enjoy like orchestral music or classical music, like you can perceive the beauty of that. Like men and women coming together uh, with various different strengths and of course weaknesses and coming together for one single purpose. I mean, it's, it's all over pop culture right now. I mean, if you just pick up any book that's been written in the last couple of years on building teams or on leadership, you're going to find stuff in there that's like, hey, to have a good team, you have to have a diversity of different people with gifts. So even pop culture understands this, but what we're going to be talking about today is something a lot bigger than just a diversity of people, but a unity and a diversity of how the Lord God, the Holy Spirit, works in and through people. So today we're talking about the spiritual gifts. Um, Spiritual gifts can be uh, defined rightly in a few different ways. Today we're going to use this definition. They're acts of service or ministry which are produced through us by the triune God. This is a definition given by Sam Storms, Dr. Sam Storms, in his book, The Beginner's Guide to Spiritual Gifts. It's a, it's a really good definition as he takes into account the full weight of the scriptures, what they have to say about the spiritual gifts. Last week, Pastor David took us through uh, chapter 12, verses 1 through 7, and he introed a lot of really important things about the spiritual gifts that we should consider as we're going to be um, talking about them for quite some time. 1 Corinthians 12, 13, and 14 <clears throat> are all dealing with this subject. And today we're going to be looking at verses 8 through 11. We're going to begin in the next few weeks to go through each of these gifts individually and give them a bit of time to help explain them and show you what they mean for our lives today. But today I'm only going to hit the first three. That's the utterance of wisdom, the utterance of knowledge, and the gift of Faith. So if you're uh, here in about 30 minutes or so and you're like, man, he's only on three of like 10 gifts. This is going to take forever. Like, don't leave. We'll be almost done by then. And then uh, next week, we're going to pick up in the same exact verses, but we're going to talk about the other gifts. So uh, if you're not already there, go ahead and turn to 1 Corinthians 12, verses 8 through 11. Here we have Paul's response probably to a question that the Corinthians had posed to him about spiritual gifts, probably about the supremacy of some gifts over the other, which was their wrong view. And he's correcting this view and showing them that there is a unity and a diversity of gifts within the body of believers and the way that the Holy Spirit works in them. And that is what he's getting at today. So uh, first we're going to look at these first three gifts. We're going to look at the utterance of wisdom, the utterance of knowledge, and the gift of faith. But before we do that, I want to make sure that we have a good groundwork to work off of. So before we even get into that, we're going to talk about uh, a little bit of background. Because if you don't have this background, you don't have this groundwork, then you're going to view these things at best in an unhelpful way, or at worst, maybe in a very bad way, a very detrimental way. So we're going to start off and consider a few very important things. So let's begin. First of all, the Holy Spirit indwells us and manifests himself to us. The Holy Spirit indwells us and manifests himself to us. Um, Some of you in the room might be uh, just like totally new to all this stuff, and you're like, who is this Spirit, and why is he giving out all these gifts? Well, a little bit of introduction. In the Christian faith, we have uh, the Bible. This is our scriptures. This is our holy text. We believe it's the Word of God. And in that Bible, we find... Um, God's revealing of himself to be a God like no other. 
He is a God who exists in Trinity. This means a tri-unity, a threeness and a oneness. And the way that he exists is one God eternally in three persons, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And all three of these persons are co-equal. They're all uh, equally worthy of all glory and worship. They're all equally divine. They always have been. They always will be. But they're distinct amongst one another. So in other words, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, they're all God. And yet the Father is not the Son. The Son is not the Spirit. The Spirit is not the Father. Now, the reason why I bring all that up is to say, whenever we're talking about gifts of the Holy Spirit, we're talking about the Holy Spirit, we're not talking about some weird impersonal force. We're literally talking about the God of the universe who has personhood and divinity, and he's not just something out there. It's literally God. And what we get in our teaching in scriptures is that for those who believe in Jesus Christ, that he died on the cross and rose again, that he really was God in the flesh and that he'll come again, we are given so many graces. First of which many of you would think about would be the forgiveness of sin or maybe the promise of eternal life. And yet one of the most important things that we are given is the indwelling of his spirit. We see this in the same letter, 1 Corinthians 3.16. Do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you? We also see this in John 14. Jesus talking to his disciples says, And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. So literally, the God of the universe is promised to indwell those who believe in him. And his presence is always with us if we believe in him. And the thing about the Spirit is that it's unseen. Like, to put it very literally, if a surgeon opens you up, he's not going to find God the Holy Spirit in there. He's, he's unseen, yet he dwells inside of us, and yet occasionally he does make himself known. Check out verse 7 here. It says, To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. Manifestation here is a really good word for the translation. Manifestation meaning an event, an action, or an object that clearly shows or embodies something. Another word that's rightly used in translations is a disclose, like it's a disclosure, like, hey, you can't see the Spirit, and yet occasionally he makes himself known in these gifts, these acts of service or ministry which are produced through us by God. So these gifts are not separate from him and his presence, but they are manifestations or they are disclosures of the fact that he is actually here and that he's actually present and he's working in our lives. So some of you may feel like God is distant and really far off, and maybe that's because you don't believe in him, or maybe you would say that you don't believe in him because you feel like he's really distant and far off. Well, I just want you to know the good news of the gospel is that whenever you believe in Jesus, he actually isn't just here, the Holy Spirit isn't just here with us, but he's actually indwelling inside of us, and occasionally he makes himself known, and that's offered to you. But for others of you, you may be more like me, who you believe in Jesus Christ, and yet because of the very hard things that have happened in your life, you begin to wonder, is he even near? Is he far away? Whenever you have the death of a loved one, whenever you have that diagnosis that comes up, or if you would just wish that maybe one day you could have a diagnosis to explain these weird health things going on in your life, and then you wonder, where is God? Is he far off? 
And though what I'm about to say isn't going to take the pain from that, I know that, but I just want to tell you truth whenever things are hard. It's that God has not left you. God is actually dwelling inside of you if you believe in Jesus. And he's here with you, and he always will be, never to be taken from you if you are in Christ. But now that you have a framework for some of these things, let's now look at the first two gifts. The utterance of wisdom and the utterance of knowledge. Verse 8. For to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, and to another the utterance of knowledge, according to the same Spirit. So a couple of considerations for this verse. Uh, The utterance of wisdom and the utterance of knowledge, these are two different spiritual gifts. I'm going to handle them together, though, because you can even see in the language they kind of sound similar, and what we have to say about one, we largely have to say about the other. So we're going to talk about them together. The, the words are very simple. An utterance, or some translations, a word of wisdom. Wisdom being like the art of skillful living. Um, or knowledge, uh, you know, factual information. Like, those words are simple, and yet it's not very clear exactly what the Apostle Paul meant in this verse. We don't have the gift of wisdom or knowledge in operation where the Bible says, hey, this is the gift of knowledge, or hey, this is the gift of wisdom. We don't have that anywhere, and thus, because these don't even show up in any other list of spiritual gifts in the Bible, we have to proceed with a little bit of charity, because, um, because uh, trusted teachers hold different views. So some people see these as simple gifting of knowledge and wisdom in a believer through the message of Jesus Christ. And they have good reason for that. If you were with us in 1 Corinthians, uh, very early on, chapters 1 through 3, you may remember that they love the idea of wisdom and they love the idea of knowledge. Um, So much so that even the non-Christians at the time, these were esteemed virtues for them. And yet Paul shows up on the scene with this letter and he says, hey, let me show you what true wisdom and true knowledge is. It's the person and work of Jesus Christ. And then likewise, because what Paul is doing in this passage is to say, hey, listen, there's a variety of different gifts and we shouldn't prioritize one over the other. It would make sense if the first two gifts that he said may be a little bit less miraculous in nature from others. But maybe general giftings of knowledge and wisdom that are offered through the message of Jesus Christ from one person to another. Uh, And I believe that it is at least that. Like, if nothing else, it is at least that, and praise God, because I need people who are wise and people who are knowledgeable in my life. But there seems to be reason to believe that they might be revelatory in nature. Revelatory meaning that God reveals something to a person. Um, The uh, gift of wisdom doesn't really show up again, but the gift of the utterance of knowledge does. Chapter 13, verse 8 says, Love never ends. As for prophecies, which would be clearly a revealing gift, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, there it is, it will pass away. So we see it beside other revealing gifts. And then in chapter 14, 6, Now, brothers, if I come to you speaking in tongues, how will I benefit you unless I bring you some revelation or knowledge or prophecy or teaching. So it's not entirely clear, but we see it grouped with other gifts where people have something revealed to them in it. And then if we look outside of this particular text, we see places like John 4, where Jesus is talking to the Samaritan woman. 
What happens in this story that many of you have probably heard before is that a woman comes to a well and Jesus asks her something about her husband. She says she doesn't have a husband, and then out of nowhere, Jesus, though he's never met her before, says, hey, by the way, you have five husbands, and you're currently with someone who isn't your husband. In other words, he was saying, hey, even though you've never met me before, I have information about you that I otherwise couldn't have had, and she heard that, she saw that there was power in him, she repented, and she followed him. Now, this may be a word of knowledge or an utterance of knowledge. This also may be in the realm of prophecy, but it seems that it seems it, the, the lines are blurred. And then likewise, for the utterance of wisdom, we think about places like King Solomon in 1 Kings 3. Solomon was already a wise man, and he asked God for more wisdom, and he was given that. And then there's this like really interesting uh, story in 1 Kings 3 where there's two women who are both claiming that one baby belongs to them. And then they say, uh, and then uh, Solomon can't figure out who it belongs to. So he says, hey, listen, um, bring me a sword. So someone brings him a sword. He's like, okay, um, so we're going to divide the baby in half, and each of you can each take one half, which just sounds like terrifying, but it gets better. Um, so he, uh, so then one woman is like, no, 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 don't do that. Give the baby to her. Don't, don't kill the baby. And he's like, ah, there you go. There's the mom. And in that particular instance, it's called the wisdom of God that he had shown that day. So it's not an open and shut case, but because we don't have a whole lot of information in the text, we have to go to these places and say that this may be the gift at work. So what I believe about this gift, and there's a variety of views that are all good and uh, within the realm of good teaching, is that these are a spontaneous revealing of wisdom or knowledge given to one person and likely for another. The emphasis seems to be that it's on the utterance, the actual speaking of it, not just that a person walks around in a very wise way for their own devices, but that they give that wisdom to others and that they give that knowledge to others. I think this could come up in many different ways, but it is at least that, and it seems that God is actually giving someone some bit of information. So I've already given you some scriptural um, examples of that, but how about a historical one? Many of you might know the name Charles Spurgeon. If you don't, he was a 19th century uh, preacher in London, and he was known for his preaching. He was later called, not by himself, but by others, the Prince of Preachers, right? And he had a very rad look about him, too. You know, look at that beard. But he's known for a lot of different things. But one of the things that you may not hear as often is that he was known for also having some very um, amazing, miraculous interactions with the Spirit of God. There was one time where he was preaching in a setting similar to this, and he's talking about one thing, and all of a sudden he points out in the crowd, and he says, hey, young man, those, uh, those gloves that you're wearing, you didn't pay for, and you stole them from your employer, and then he just keeps on preaching, which is like the most terrifying thing that could ever happen at church, <laughs> right? And yet what happens after that is a young man comes up to him after church with a pair of gloves, and he's like, I've never done this before. This is the first time I've ever stolen. And I think he actually was young because he's like, don't tell my mom, <laughs> you know, or something like that. And, you know, I bring that up not to prove the point, but to say, like, yes, things like this have happened in history. And we might wonder if this is more of the prophecy or the prophetic, which we'll talk about that in a few weeks. But this may have been an instance where this gift was at work. And you may be unsure about this. You might be skeptical of this as well. And let me just give that to you. There have been, over the years, sure, in the church, but also in every human institution, there have been 
hoaxes and there have been charlatans and that has always been the case and always will be the case that those things will happen in any human institution or, or I could say anywhere where people are. And yet, at the same time, for those of you who are in here who believe in Jesus Christ, I, I just want to challenge you to the possibility that this may be true. You believe that Jesus Christ was man and he was actually God and that he died on a cross and that he rose again 2,000 years ago. That is a very bold statement. I believe that and many of you in this room believe that too. So therefore, is it so unlikely that God, the Holy Spirit, would still be at work in our people? That occasionally he would give us a bit of wisdom or knowledge whenever it so suited him and so equipped us for his ministry to others? I don't think it's too far-fetched. And also, if you believe in Jesus Christ, you still have his teaching right here from the Apostle Paul, and you have to do something with that text. So even if you don't take that these are as miraculous as others, you'll have the same problem whenever you get to the miraculous ones, or the same challenge. So let's now look at the third and final gift that we're going to be looking at today, the gift of faith. Again, verse 8. For to one who is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, and to another the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, and then I'm just going to go ahead and jump down to verse 11. All these are empowered by one and the same Spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. So the gift of faith. Uh, The word faith is one of those churchy words. We use it all the time around here. A lot of times we don't define it. Um, I want to give you just a synonym that works like the vast majority of the time, whenever you see faith in the scriptures, a good synonym for that would be uh, trust. That's not going to be every single time, but that's very often uh, a very good synonym for that word. Uh, To say that you have faith in something means that you trust that something will come to pass that was said, or you trust that something that someone said was true. Uh, You all had faith whenever you sat down that you weren't going to hit the floor, but you were going to hit the chair. You trusted that chair was going to catch you. It's the very same thing. However, this is not what's called saving faith. Some of you guys might be here today not believing in Jesus Christ, but you're invited by someone who says, I have faith in Jesus Christ. What they're talking about is faith in Jesus that he really, uh, really was who he said he was. It really is who he, said he, uh, who he says he is. That he died on a Roman cross in a real way 2,000 years ago, that he was God in the flesh, that he rose again, and that he has ascended to heaven where he still is today and he will come again. And that particular faith is what saves us and it saves us from our rebellion against God and its consequences. It saves us from all of our wrongdoing that we've ever done to others. And by the way, it also saves us from all the wrongdoing that anyone has ever done to us. And that, my friends, is offered to you today as well. But what we're talking about here is not that faith because not every person is going to have every single spiritual gift. For as it says in verse 11, all these are empowered by one and the same Spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. If he's apportioning them each one individually, we can't expect that every single person would have every gift. Thus, this is not normal saving faith. This is the gift of faith. This is likely um, the ability to trust that God will perform some extraordinary work in our lives or in the world that we cannot claim a promise of from the Scripture. In other words, if we believe that Jesus will come back one day and we have faith and trust that he will, that's not uh, the gift of faith. That is just the faith in Jesus Christ. 
Rather, this is something else. In 1 Corinthians uh, 13, 2, we hear uh, a mention of faith. It seems like it's talking about the gift of faith. It says, all faith so as to remove mountains. In other words, so much trust, the ability to trust that a mountain would pick itself up and walk itself across the road and plop itself down. Now, it's a, it's a picture. I'm not saying that if you go out and have faith that, uh, you know, the Rockies are going to move themselves, but it's a picture of the kind of faith that it's talking about here. It's something that we can trust that God will do in our lives, that we're probably going to say, I know this is crazy, but I trust that God is going to do this. That is probably the gift of faith. Uh, George Mueller is someone who comes to mind for many of us who is a man of great faith and likely had the gift of faith. Uh, For those of you who don't know, uh, George Mueller was another pastor in England in the 19th century. The 19th century England must have just been awesome (laughs) because all of my examples I could think of were from this era and from this place. And, you know, this guy, uh, he was a pastor, he was an evangelist, and he had a real heart for orphans. And he spent most of his life educating orphans and creating orphanages. And he had a particular trust that God was going to provide for him and for the orphans, and he wasn't going to do it by normal means. He was offered a salary. He denied a salary. He said, no, 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 God's going to take care of us, and he and his family never missed a meal. Either the food would show up at the right time or the money to buy the food would show up at the right time in an unexplainable way. He was telling someone about it, but he wasn't telling others about it. He was telling Jesus about the need, and Jesus was providing. One of the most famous stories about this guy is uh, there's about 300 kids in this orphanage. They're about to go off to school, and someone tells him, hey, there's no food for them. There's no breakfast. And then there's like a knock at the door, and there's a baker, and he's like, hey, I couldn't sleep all night because uh, I just knew you guys would need bread, so I made like extra, so here you go. And then a little bit later after that, a milk cart breaks down in front of the orphanage, and they're like, hey, this milk's going to spoil, so you guys can have it. And it was exactly enough for the 300 kids that were there. So this seems like a, a level of faith that would be so much stronger that this is likely a picture of the gift of faith. But the craziest part about the story is that we actually have documentation from this guy that says, no, I don't have the gift of faith. <laughs> so you know, who am I to disagree with George Mueller? (laughs) But, uh, you know, it certainly seems like that's a real example of the gift in operation. So 1 Corinthians 12, 11 again. All these are empowered by one and the same Spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. Um, You know, just a little word on what we do with all this information today. You know, um, A lot of times we view the spiritual gifts as a personality test. It's like, what's your Enneagram number? What spiritual gift do you have? You know, it's like, where's my identity at in this spectrum? And which one am I? Am I a four or am I a gift of tongues? I don't know. But later on in chapter 14, it's going to say, earnestly desire the spiritual gifts. It's not something that we shouldn't desire. We should certainly want these things in our lives as they are manifestations of the Spirit for the common good. And yet, the main point is not wondering, like, okay, do I have the utterance of wisdom? Do I have the utterance of knowledge? Do I have the gift of faith? Instead, the real question is, is are we going to trust that God is going to give us what we actually need in the time that we need it? It's good to desire these things, 
And many of us will receive different gifts. But all of them are open to us all. And the question is, is is he going to actually give us what we need? Whenever we're talking to a friend or a loved one about hard things, are we going to pray to God and ask, God, will you give me some wisdom in this moment? And my friends, you may not even know that it was a gift of wisdom. (laughs) Do you pray to God and say, hey, Jesus, would you just make sure that I know what I need to know in this instance? And do you expect that he's actually going to answer the prayer in the moment? Whenever you have faith that something's going to actually happen, that he's going to do something big in someone's life, do you squash that and say, no, I'm just being optimistic? Or rather, do you expect that the Holy Spirit who indwells you and manifests himself in you is actually going to give you what you need? And are you going to have faith to actually proceed with that? He gave Jesus everything he needed in his life on God's mission, and he gave the apostles everything that they needed in God's mission too. So my friends, will you pray to God and will you trust in God that he will give you what you need in your life as you are on his mission as well? Let's pray. So God, we pray to that end, Lord. Pray that you would give us everything that we need to follow you on your mission, to call others to faith in Jesus, to give them joy in that, and to give them the truth that you are who you are. And Lord, we pray that you would give us the gifts. We know, Lord, that we already have the Spirit within us, and occasionally, Lord, you manifest yourself. So we pray that you would do that in our church as we continue to follow you. Pray these things in your name. Amen.